So we're in the middle of our sermon series on the Sabbath. Pastor David has been preaching about how honoring the Sabbath aligns ourselves with God, how Sabbath reveals the source of our provision, and today we are going to talk about how honoring the Sabbath looks ahead to the eternal rest of God. Honoring the Sabbath looks ahead to the eternal rest of God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come to you today with our hearts open to whatever you want to teach us, however you want to challenge us, Lord. Thank you for being a God who loves us and knows us. And I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would be present and just open our hearts, Lord, to your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I just want to start off by acknowledging that honoring Sabbath is it's tricky, okay? Trying to do it as an individual person, let's just be frank, okay? Sometimes it can be kind of weird, okay, in our greater society. Taking 24 hours or doing spiritual practices it doesn't really jive with this 24-7 society that we live in. So practicing Sabbath can seem kind of strange to people. There's even a word for people who practice Sabbath. It's Sabbatarians. (laughs) Does that not sound a little bit like maybe it could be a cult? (laughs) It's so unusual that there's a name for people who do this. Okay, Sabbatarians. It's very countercultural. Honoring Sabbath can be really difficult, like I mentioned, because in our society, we're just used to consuming, consuming all day long. I am young enough, not old enough, I am young enough to remember a time when things weren't open on Sundays, when soccer games weren't scheduled on Sundays. I don't say I'm old enough, because I don't want you to feel like that was so long ago, but in the course of human history, it hasn't been that long that we're so busy on Sundays. Our society used to be structured to give people rest. So I am young enough to remember that. And then Sabbath is really hard because there are so many counterfeits to rest, namely leisure. So ask any parent who has taken toddlers to Disney World. Whether or not that leisure, that vacation, that break from work was restful. I see y'all on the tram. I mean, it's just, I feel so bad. You know, you don't look rested. Watching football games, getting all mad like that, getting your, your blood pressure. Cursing on the Lord's day. That's not restful. So... There are a lot of counterfeits to rest. We say, oh, on my day off, I do this thing. And you're like, does that really connect you to God? Like, do you really feel rested after you watch the Texans lose? (laughs) So individually, observing Sabbath is perilous. Now I want to talk about the perils of observing Sabbath or really any spiritual practice collectively. And that's what you guys want to do. You want to do Sabbath collectively and not just together, but for a whole year? That is a really long period of time. So I present to you Exhibit A. This is a printout of Isaiah 58. A few years ago, exactly 2015, I thought it would be a really great idea to teach my three children, who are now 20, 18, and 17, 
to become an Isaiah 58 family. 58, 5 plus 8 equals 13. So on the 13th of every month, this is what we're going to do. We are going to memorize Isaiah 58. And what does Isaiah 58 say? Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Why have we fasted and you see it not? We have humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it. Here, this is the best part. Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. The whole chapter, 14 verses. We're going to memorize this. And at the bottom, it says, we, the Wu family, covenant together to pursue an Isaiah 58 spirit in regards to the poor and oppressed. Lord, help us live sacrificially and give generously and shine your light in the darkness. Signed on this day, January 14th, 2015, all five signatures in my family, my husband, me, and my three kids. So this is what we did. And back when my kids were younger and thought I was pretty awesome, they were very willing to try on new things. So we did it a couple of months, and then guess what? Over time, their attitudes got kind of stinky. (laughs) It'd be the 13th of the month, and I'd be like, guys, tonight is our Isaiah 58 night. You know what we're going to do? This is what we do. We willingly fast. So I gave them a choice. Like, you can choose how much, like if you're starving, because we had cross-country practice, you can eat a little bit. But I want you to intentionally fast, intentionally go to bed a little hungry, so that we can become an Isaiah 58 family that cares about the poor, that feels in our bodies what starvation is like, so that we can have a discipline, self-denial, to draw closer to God. Over time, my kids said, So you want us to starve? (laughs) I got the stinkiest attitudes. Isaiah 58. Oh, gosh. So we stopped doing Isaiah 58. I personally thought it was a really great idea, but we got some really bad attitudes. Okay. Next, I present to you Exhibit B. The Family Devo Binder. Okay. Our Devo binder has worship songs that we bust out sometimes on Sunday afternoons, sometimes even after church. Daddy was a pastor, so we can have church in the morning, church in the afternoon, church during the pandemic. This was actually very convenient. We have a table of contents, alphabetical order of all these songs that Daddy handpicked. We also have in color an examine that we can do. We've got a special Christmas song sheet with a wreath. Okay. Went through a lot of trouble. We have a communion liturgy right here with all the parts highlighted for five different members of the family. Not one, but two examines in color. Okay. And on top of all this, my husband is a pretty phenomenal worship leader. You had David Wu leading worship for you. 
So we would sometimes get together as a family and do devos. And over time, like sometimes it was really good, but sometimes it was like, we already went to church today. And I just want to do this for 30 minutes, kids. But we already like do this all the time. And, and I would get feedback like, what do you think of family devo time? Well, it's like you just tell us what we're doing wrong and how to do it better. So sometimes the attitudes got really stinky, even though we tried really hard to do collective Sabbath. Why? Because Sabbath is meant to be together. It's meant to be collective. And now you know why I don't get asked to teach parenting workshops. (laughs) But this did not go over very well with our family, and I've got more examples, which I will share later in the sermon, of trying to do Sabbath collectively. So... Honoring the Sabbath, it's tricky, but it is vital. And it's not just vital, but it is commanded by God as a signal to something else. It is commanded by God as a signal to something else. And that's what we want to talk about today. Please turn with me or just listen. If you don't want to look it up, just listen to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. It's a little lengthy, um, but I think it's really important that we capture all of it. So, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion, during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. 
On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above, he says, They shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. This is the word of the Lord. So the scriptures that I just read, it was a bit lengthy, um, but what it was was a lengthy quotation of the second half of Psalm 95. Of the 24 verses that I just read, Nine were from Psalm 95. And for some context, Psalm 95 refers to Israel's rebellion in not wanting to enter the promised land after God freed them from captivity in Egypt. Although they sent out scouts and saw that the land was full of milk and honey, they were afraid of the intimidating dwellers there. And so they rebelled against Aaron and Moses, their leaders, And they cried back to go back to captivity. They said it would be better if we went back to Egypt, back to captivity. Imagine that. As a result, the entire generation was denied the promised land, except for Joshua and Caleb. So what I'm going to do is, reflecting back on the passage that I just read, I want to share three phrases that stood out to me from the reading. First, do not harden your hearts. You'll find this in verses 3, 8, 3, 13, 3, 15, and 4, 7. In the Bible, hardening one's heart was related to disobedience and unbelief. In the story of the greatest oppression in the history of the Jewish people, the Bible lists 13 instances of God hardening Pharaoh's heart or Pharaoh hardening his heart. And about the same number of verses in the Old Testament referred to Israel's disobedience to God, which resulted in the prolonging of their desert wanderings. And so when it says, do not harden your hearts, there is an element of obedience and disobedience as is related to entering the rest of God. Deprivation of rest is oppression. Do you remember when they were in Egypt, they had to work. They weren't given the materials that they needed. They had to work, work, work. That is a form of oppression, and it is something that we embrace today. I just never want to stop working. But in the scriptures, non-ceasing work is oppression. You know, even when you look at the way that we deal with criminals, It's a torture device to not let people sleep, right? Sleep deprivation is actually a torture device. So depriving oneself of rest, not being able to sleep, 
it is one of the most intense forms of oppression. This passage that I read, it repeats, they will not enter my rest. They will not enter my rest. Okay? Denial of rest as ultimate punishment. So God is saying, do not harden your hearts. Sabbath is a commandment. It is the fourth commandment of the ten. So let's just see how we treat the other commandments. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't make an idol. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Okay, that's good. Honor your your parents. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not covet. Do not lie. Like We're like, okay, we're really good with that, right? But the fourth commandment is honor the Sabbath. And we kind of go, meh. It's not convenient. It's strange. I'm too busy. So we're really on board with all of the other nine commandments. But Sabbath is the fourth. And Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. So he rules over all of the commandments, including the fourth. I don't know how it feels to you for me to come up here as a guest and say, start off talking about disobedience and then tell you that you have to do something. Okay, but the Sabbath is listed as a commandment. The Sabbath being under the lordship of Jesus Christ is something that we should take very seriously. The next phrase that really stands out to me is make every effort. Make every effort in verse 4, 11. When I was in high school, I had two girlfriends that were Orthodox Jews. And I just remember that I was so intrigued. Um, I had a lot of Jewish friends, but I only had two that were Orthodox Jews. And the, the Orthodox Jews observed Shabbat, which is translated Sabbath for us in English. And it began on Friday night, and it went to Saturday. And when I spent the night at my Orthodox friend's house, they would show me, this is everything that we have to do to get ready for Shabbat. They would have to make every effort to cook ahead of time, clean ahead of time, empty out their calendar ahead of time. And this is the thing that I found really interesting. If you wanted to listen to the radio during Shabbat, you just had to leave it on because you can't do any work. So if you want the TV to be on, just leave it on, and then it's just there, but you didn't have to turn it on because turning it on would be work. And so I just remember being so intrigued but also amused by some of the rigidity of the laws, but it was still there was something in it that was attractive to me for some reason. There was something in it that my Orthodox friends were willing to, even among their Jewish friends at the school, because it was mostly Reformed Jews at my high school, they were willing to set themselves apart. They were willing to look different for the sake of something that really mattered to them and their community. They did Shabbat as a family. And so that was my very first exposure to a group of people making every effort to rest together. I want to share a little bit about my own Sabbath practice today that requires me to make some effort. Um, So for the past 20 years or so, I have tried really hard to honor a Sunday Sabbath. My husband was in church ministry for about 12 of those 20 years, and so it was often very difficult for me to do it. I often did not do it the way I wanted to. 
But I try really hard on Sundays not to work, meaning like not to get on my computer. I don't have a lot of strict rules around it right now, honestly, because of how many years we were in church ministry. It was just really hard. I just kind of like got what I could. But one thing that I noticed was that Sunday nights are some of the most unrestful nights of the entire week when you have kids. Because you're getting ready for school. They always have homework that they're doing. You're packing their lunch. You're washing their laundry. And so I decided I needed one night of the week to not work. And I chose Wednesday. So most Wednesday nights for the past 20 years, I don't schedule appointments. I don't get on like a training online. I don't hang out with friends. I just try to shut everything down early. I asked, now that my kids are a little older, I've asked them to take care of dinner so that I don't have to. And I try to go to bed early. I read a book. I went through three years of seminary not doing homework on Wednesday nights. And believe me, there were so many times where I thought, gosh, I really need to do work. I really need to study. But I just tried really hard to honor the Sabbath. So doing Sabbath, you need to be a little creative, but you need to make some effort. And I had to tell my boss, no one in my, when I used to work for a nonprofit, there was, we kind of went from like three people to eight people, but I had told everyone, like, I don't want to work on Wednesdays. And they honored that. And I was really grateful. Um, okay. So make every effort. Honoring Sabbath requires intention, intentionality and commitment, but I don't want you to be afraid of intentionality and commitment. It's a good, hard thing to honor the Sabbath. And I don't want you to be afraid of doing a good, hard thing. There's a Jewish theologian. He's a rabbi named Abraham um, Joshua Heschel. And he says this about fighting for Sabbath. Gallantly, ceaselessly, quietly, man must fight for inner liberty. You must fight for inner liberty, maybe so much more in the 21st century than ever in human history. The third verse that's phrase that stands out to me is encourage one another. Encourage one another. This is in verse 313. Sabbath is meant to be collective. The commandments were given collectively. The commandments to the Sabbath for even the Jewish people way back then even included sojourners, non-Jews that were in their midst. Sabbath was so important to the Jewish people that they just included. Like, if you're hanging out with us, you're going to do the Sabbath. We're not going to make you work. We're not going to say, well, I'm Jewish and you're not, so we're going to rest and you can keep on working. It was so inclusive. It was so communal. It was so collective that it was inscribed in their laws. So Sabbath is meant to be collective. It's hard to honor a collective Sabbath if you don't honor it individually. It's hard to do anything collectively if you don't do it first individually. So if you don't have any spiritual practices, if you've never honored Sabbath before, it might be a little challenging for you to jump into the church's practice of Sabbath, but... I want you to encourage you to start with something small. Okay, take a baby step. Honoring it individually will help you honor it collectively. And at the same time, honoring it collectively will help you honor it individually. So last Sunday, my son and I did a half marathon. He's 17 years old. I bribed him. 
because it's my birthday in two weeks. And so I said, if I pay for your registration, will you run the marathon, half marathon at my pace? And he said, so I don't have to pay to do this. I don't have to give any money for your birthday present this year. I said, that's correct. So he said, okay, I'll do it. And we were trash talking ahead of time. He's young. He didn't really train. So he would say, I hope you can keep up with me. And I would say, well, I hope you can keep up with me because I actually somewhat trained and he didn't. And yes, around mile 10, we had to stop because guess whose legs were cramping? Not mine. (laughs) So my son and I did a half marathon. And for any of you who ever run, I don't know about you, but this happens to me all the time where like I start jogging and I'm running and I'm like, how long has it been? I am exhausted. I look at my watch, six minutes. (laughs) I mean, that's like, kind of like my level of running and I train really well up to about six miles. And then after that, it's really difficult for me, like on my own to choose to run more than six miles, but six is like pretty good. But when we were at the half marathon, the crowds and the environment and all the cheering, the six miles flew. The second half was hard, but with everyone cheering, you can do it. You can do it. Let's do this together. Everyone was doing it together and it made it really easy, honestly. Like, I'm not a super athlete. Going into the half marathon, I had never run farther than nine miles because, I mean, like, I don't want to. (laughs) But we finished it, and it was fun, and it was rewarding, and it was good, and it was hard. And a cold front blew in during the race. Y'all, it got down to low 40s. (laughs) I was cold. Low 40s. Yeah, it was was really cold, trust me. But if you asked me to just go and do that in low 40s weather by myself, forget it. I'm just not going to do it. I have no motivation. But if you do it with me, and if you cheer me on, it's not only doable, but it's fun. It's worthwhile. The last thing I want to say about encouraging one another is that you need buy-in. Okay? The church, y'all need buy-in to this idea of a collective Sabbath. Sometimes the biggest pushback to not do Sabbath is from other Christians. Sometimes the worst pushback is from other Christians. Early in marriage, we lived in China. I was on a mission team, and every Sunday, everyone else on our little team liked to watch this series. It was called 24. It had just come out. Kiefer Sutherland. I'm really dating myself. But they wanted to watch 24. But my husband and I had developed a newfound conviction around Sabbath that we wanted to pray and rest on Sundays. And so we told the team and they were kind of like, okay, because none of us had come from communities or cultures that honored the Sabbath. But every once in a while they would forget and they would call us and they'd say, hey, you want to come over and watch 24? And we'd be like, oh, well, we're going to honor the Sabbath. And it was like, oh, okay. (laughs) You know, I'd say, well, today is like our day to pray and spend time with the Lord. And they'd be like, oh, sorry, we forgot. Sorry, we forgot. And it became this awkward thing on our missions team. Like, we're hardcore missionaries. And we're, like, having this conflict because we didn't want to socialize on Sundays. So some of the hardest pushback sometimes you get is from other Christians. And then even... In my own family, to be honest, I have felt very alone. I have felt very discouraged in my Sabbath practice because most of my family does not do it. And, you know, we've been in ministry for a very long time. Our kids are all believers. They've all been baptized. They all love the Lord. But this idea of resting, they just don't want to do it. 
and I've tried to implement. I have had all these really awesome ideas, right? Like starving. I've had all these great ideas, and they just don't want to do it. And so it's been an area of really deep discouragement for me and, and loneliness. But I will say that recently I had a conviction around trying to reevaluate my, my Sabbath. And my husband said to me, you know, I think maybe I should follow your example. And I, I'm really contemplating kind of doing something very similar to what you do. And so that was, that was a huge encouragement to me. So buy-in is really important when you want to do something collectively. And just as an encouragement to you guys, I really want you to buy into this. It is a gift that your church leadership wants to give you. It is a gift, and it is unusual. Before I came, I was asking around my friends, like, do you guys know of churches that do a collective Sabbath, a year-long Sabbath? And, I mean, most pastors that I talked to said, no, I've never heard of this before. It's unique. It's special. It is a gift. And so I want to encourage you to buy into it. Um, Rabbi Heschel, who I quoted earlier, he said, The Sabbath is the most precious present mankind has received from the treasure house of God. This might be the only time in your life you ever get to do this. This might be the only time. Don't choose captivity over freedom. I want to encourage you to buy into this crazy idea of a collective year-long Sabbath. So do not harden your hearts. Make every effort. Encourage one another. So as a reminder, what is Sabbath signal? The Jewish Sabbath was on the last day of the week, a signal to God resting after creating the world. The Christian Sabbath is on the first day of the week, Sunday, signaling creation the day that light was created, and we are called to be light. So this is working from a place of rest, prioritizing Sabbath on the first day, working from a place of rest rather than working until we are so tired that we just have to give up and rest. Okay, So we work from a place of rest. Hebrews 4, 9 to 10 says, There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Do you ever just get tired of working? Do you ever just get tired and say, I just really want rest? The past six months, my husband and I have been caretaking for two dads. And there was a point where I got so burned out. I remember waking up one morning I was so on the verge of, like, a breakdown, and I said, Jesus, this would be a great day to come back. Could you please come back today? And the older that I get, y'all, the more I want Jesus to come back, honestly. But I woke up that one morning, and I laid in bed, and I said, this would be a great day to come back. It would be very convenient for me. And so I waited, and I sat on my bed, and I waited, and I waited. And then I was sorely disappointed, but I have that longing in my heart, like, Jesus, come back. Like, some days I'm just so tired, and, y'all, I have zest for life. Like, I'm happy to be alive, but I really want Jesus to come back so that we can enter into that eternal rest. So now I look forward to Sabbath. I mean, it wasn't always that way, but when I wake up on Wednesday mornings, knowing that my Wednesday night is coming, I wake up cheerful. I really look forward to Wednesdays. I wake up in the morning, oh, today's my Sabbath night. And I don't go into my Sabbath rest going, I can't wait to be productive on Thursday. 
I can't wait to rest on Wednesday nights. I'm going to work hard on Thursday. I'm not looking forward to working harder. I'm looking forward to the rest that comes on Wednesday night. So Sabbath is not utilitarian. We don't do it so that we get more productive. We do it because we, we become, we fall in love with that rest, with that communion with God time. And so don't allow your practice of Sabbath to just be about resting or feasting or whatever, but the focus is God. The gift of Sabbath is God. And it becomes something that you look forward to. It starts off really hard, and hopefully after time, it will become something that you love. So I have just two pieces of practical advice. The first is set an intention. Anyone do yoga in this room? Okay, sometimes they say at the beginning, right, set an intention. So what's an intention? It's, not, it's just saying, I'm going to do this. Um, I will try. Set your intention. If you are afraid that maybe I can't really do this, like 24 hours in it, y'all can be creative. I'll let Pastor David figure out exactly like what that should look like for you. But just set an intention. That's it. And if you don't have a desire for Sabbath, pray to have desire. Say, God, I don't have a desire for this. Would you give me desire? Just set your intention. Okay? The second piece is focus on who you're becoming in Christ and not what you're doing during Sabbath. Some of you right now, you're sitting in your chairs right now thinking through your schedules. You're thinking through the logistics, like, okay, we're going to do Sabbath. Like, what would that look like for me? And, oh, gosh, I, I, I do this on Wednesdays. And No, no, no. Focus on who you're becoming in Christ and let God do the work. Remember, Sabbath is the opposite of work. Let God do the work. Focus on who you're becoming in Christ. And don't worry so much about the logistics of Sabbath. Don't let that trip you up. Okay? Let God do the work. So, honoring the Sabbath looks ahead to the eternal rest of God. Do not harden your hearts. Make every effort. Encourage one another. I want to close with a poem that I wrote for your church. In 2024, my word is spaciousness. Spaciousness. After a very taxing 2023. Um, My word last year was sweet and sassy. (laughs) And that's where I was last year. This year it's spaciousness. The year before it was decrepit. (laughs) But in 2024, my word is spaciousness. And in that spaciousness... I'm challenging myself as a spiritual practice to write one poem a week. And I'm giving myself permission to write really lame poems. I've written about nine so far. We're in the third week of 2024, and some will never be read by another human being, trust me. But they're for me. I'm doing it for myself. And so as I was preparing this, I just challenged myself. Okay, something just came to me. And so I wrote this poem, and I want to dedicate it to you, New Community Church, Bronzeville. I've taken some of the themes and phrases from the first three weeks of sermons, so some of what Pastor David has shared, some of the conversations that I've had with you, some of the experience of just being here in Chicago. So this poem is called How Much More, and is a poem about delighting in earthly gifts but acknowledging the greater gift of God found in Sabbath. How Much More. Sun on a winter's day, summer's prolonged play. How much more the wondrous joy from the one who creates. A blanket in the cold, a mother's arms enfold. 
how much more the hold, the warm embrace of the Lord. Baked cookies from a friend, a newborn's honey scent. How much more the smell, the sense of Christ, his sweet fragrance. The lilies of the field, the cattle on a hill. How much more, be still, he will provide for your fill. For the gift is the giver. Cease your striving, believer. Align with the Father. Encourage one another. Make every effort together. Go against the grain. A Sabbath rest remains. One in seven, foretaste of heaven. Enter his rest today. So be it.